Welcome to the Monsters of Television podcast. I'm Nick. I'm Matt. We've got Noel. Hello. Karen. Hello. All four of us are here at the Hooray. same time. All of us. It's been a while. Yeah. Guys, I gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, so we're going to talk about television, like we always do. Um, I don't think there's much that we all watched at the same time this week, except for maybe the Thursday night stuff. And maybe we all saw how bad Community was this week. Oh. Like, how, why was it so, it was just not on. Like, it was off the whole, the whole episode. What was wrong with it? I don't think it was my least favorite of the season, though. No. no. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't as bad as, you know, the Space Flight episode. I don't like that episode. Yeah, people hate Rocket Science. I like Rocket I Science. Like that episode. Wait, is that when they get trapped in the bus? Yeah. Yes. I like that episode. What are you talking about, Noah? Oh, God. Blah. But Evil Mean Pierce? I don't like Evil Mean Pierce. That that bothers me. I like Evil Mean Pierce. Evil Mean Pierce. They've really villainized him this more so this season. But it's okay now, apparently. Yeah, Yeah. I I don't get that part either. Anyway, so what what happened this week? Refresh my memory. I know it wasn't great, but I Um, quickly removed it from my brain. It was a problem of having three plots that probably each deserved half an episode as opposed to a third of an episode. Okay. Um, you had the op-ed taking the Who's the Boss class. Yeah, that was funny. Which was You had great. the Troy and Britta acting class with the return of Sean Garrity, a.k.a. Professor Professorson <laughs> from the Conspiracy Theory episode. And then you had the Pierce marrying a young Asian woman that he just randomly met in their Italian wine tasting class. Their student fees, by the way, at Greendale must be astronomical <laughs> to be able to pay for a wine tasting class. But those three things all happened in one episode, and I think that was the problem. Was what more would you episode, have, what more would you have done with the Troy and Britta storyline? I think I would have liked to have seen that played out a little bit longer. I mean, I think it got resolved too quickly, and I think that the show skirted away from the fact that he did something pretty bad by lying about being abused. Yeah. And then just didn't do anything with it. It was resolved really, really quickly, especially for Britta, who doesn't really resolve things quickly. But suddenly it was okay. Plus, it's a pretty easy joke to be like, oh, you know, actors, they're so like that. And that's, I don't know. I, I didn't think it was terribly creative. It wasn't, and while it wasn't the best, I have to admit I found it refreshing to have a non-parody episode after a while. It was nice to see just random exploits of these characters in different situations like it used to be versus... They've been, they've been doing non-parody episodes off and on this season. It's just, I think this one kind of stands out because of how season one it felt. Yeah. Because there's so much emphasis on taking classes this time. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that, though. No, no, I, absolutely not. I actually like when they do, when they, when we see them in classes and when we see them doing that sort of thing. I actually really like that. It's just that none of these were very interesting or well-developed. Well, I don't, yeah, I, I'm not sure I'm on the needs to be more developed bandwagon, but I, I feel like I miss something whenever we don't get all of the characters together. That was why the study group for Spanish was so important, right? It, it gave them all a reason to be in the same room, chatting, checking in. Even though they could all go off and do their own thing, it was the room that made the heart of the show. Right. And so one of my concerns this week is that they were all spread out so far. And sometimes 
there are certain characters that work better than others. So if they're off separately, you have to make sure you have one of the balancing characters with one of the more annoying uh, Britta-type characters, you know? Well, I like Britta and Troy together. I love their first their interpretive dance episode from season one. I think that um, Jacobs and Glover have an immense amount of chemistry and work really well off one another. It's not the actors, it's the character. Yeah. Britta can be used well and Britta can be used very poorly. And when she's kind of dumb and naive, I'm not as excited about her. And they don't give her much to do here. She's like, oh, you know, it's the it's the worst side of Britta, the the Britta that's completely, um, and idealistic isn't even the word. I mean, that's the problem. It's she's just dumb. Her compassion isn't sincere. It's just PC and whatever else. And so you're kind of left with this shell of a woman who has more going on, but the show sometimes doesn't let her show those moments. And so, yes, I agree. Having him talk about being abused and have it not be a real situation is somewhat irresponsible. But it also doesn't play to the strengths of either character. So, yeah. so I mean, you know, what's his name trying to marry the woman? I mean, I, I thought they ended it very well. I like that Jeff kind of realizes, oh, turns out these two are perfect for each other. That was kind of amusing. Um, so I was okay with where the episode came around to, but definitely at the end of it, I was kind of like, yeah, that's okay. Yeah. I mean, I just kind of wanted, you know, media studies academics to be needled a little bit more. I'm just saying I would have liked to have seen <laughs> Or stand in be abused a bit more by Op-Ed, as opposed to just that. I would have liked to have seen that play out a bit more. And I understand there are production reasons why that, that wasn't played out more. And I get that. So it just kind of felt undeveloped for me. You know, Thursday it's always about which one of these shows is going to kick the other's butt. And, and it, it, it ships, which is nice. That's why I like Thursday Night TV. You never know which show is going to be great. You usually expect The Office not to be the best, so when it is, that's fun. Yep. Mm-hmm. But Parks and Rec for me was, that was the home run this week. Yeah, it was good. The, uh, the teaser I just can't alone, say enough about Yeah, teaser alone for that episode was, was the best. Ron Swanson is the man. Well, and it was sweet, you know, that, of all, I mean, it's hard, again, talk about a somewhat problematic character. I know a lot of people hate April, but pairing her with Mr. Cutie Pie whoa, has done... Whoa, 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 people hate April? Oh, yeah. Why do you hate April? Because she's always depressed and annoying, and a little mean. When is she annoying? I don't, I don't, I, don't, I can't well, the, that. I can, the only thing I would say about April recently is, and they kind of ditched that this episode, but the last few episodes before this, they kind of turned April into the obnoxious girlfriend character. And I was, mm. I was getting a little annoyed with her recently. I mean, the thing about Andy not saying that he loved her back, and the thing about her, you know, Andy trying to get to them while camping, and she's just complaining the whole time, like, why isn't my boyfriend here, blah, blah, blah. April was yeah. starting to annoy me in recent episodes. But they, they finally got out of that obnoxious girlfriend character. But that aside, I don't know, I've never been, uh, I've never been bothered by April. Never, yeah. I mean, yeah, so I, I felt like April never really worked until she became Ron's assistant, at which point she became awesome. Right. Like, she had a real purpose, and, and everything about her, like, served the show there. But they, I think they've done a nice job with her with Andy. I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, and yes. I like that they, you know, they. It, it's so funny to watch that show and remember that she, that, um, what's her name used to date Andy? Anne. Yeah. Like, I mean, that is that seems like 4,000 years ago. It does. So I like the show acknowledged it, noted it. It didn't put Anne in the middle. Didn't do any of the typical usual stuff you might get. They just kind of had Anne trying to figure out, okay, what the hell am I going to do with my life now? I don't have a man. Man, I, 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 I like that a lot of it has has 
involved Donna recently. It's like Donna's kind of the person that Anne is going to. So it's nice because we're getting to see that character a little bit more. But that's such a weird kind of friendship that started to come out of this. Is that all of this stuff where Anne is going downhill after breaking up with Chris. Donna's kind of the one that's been there and like help helping her in her own special sassy black woman kind of way. But right. And Anne going downhill has done wonders for that character. Yeah. I mean, that's the nice thing about Parks and Rec is they I feel like they're always working and figuring out how do we make this character better? How do we make this person gel more with the group? There's lots of ways that um, it's constantly in development and growing. And the wedding was cute. The wedding was cute. Um, the wedding was uh, weird at first, and I'm surprised that they went through with it and everything. Like, they're they are honestly married. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the wedding was adorable. Um, Wait, did we lose Noel? No, I'm still here. I just don't have anything to say about Parks and Rec. Oh, that's right. I forgot your... Noel hates first... fun, remember? <laughs> yeah, that's right. He has no heart. Uh, nope. Yep. It's true. Yeah. That's just... That's my two bits for any discussion about Parks and Rec is that I have no soul. Did you guys like The Office? It was okay. It was a big Will Ferrell episode, yeah. Yeah. It doesn't really seem like they know what direction they're taking that character. He was like three different kinds of people in this episode, and I don't really know where he's going to land. That episode was like the longest episode of The Office I've watched. (laughs) It was just like every time I was just like, God, this thing, where am I getting to the end? I was just so over that episode very, very quickly. The teaser I really enjoyed. Uh-huh. I liked the teaser a lot, but the episode itself was kind of tired. Everyone's interactions trying to impress Will Ferrell's character, I thought they were all kind of boring. Yeah. Daryl and his cowboy thing didn't hit with me. No. Jim and Pam and Cece, I really just do not care about any of the three of you, so I didn't care about right. that. <laughs> Maybe I hate kids, but yeah. I just had no, like, I cared nothing for any of that. Uh, Andy's funny guy thing was okay. His talking heads were good when he was like, this is my life now. Right, that was right. funny, that but was- the... The, like, forced slapstick between him and Will Ferrell was, it, it wasn't, it didn't do it for me. No. Yeah. It was okay. There were moments, and I agree with you, that they don't quite know what to do with Will Ferrell. They've got Will Ferrell, and they're, like, so excited about it that they're giving him everything. Like, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And The Office is, I mean, hasn't it usually struggled when it brought big-time guest stars on? Like, it, it is hard to bring people that are so recognizable and have, and, and have an organic reason to have them be with the group, to have them yeah. have a... And I could see that they were trying to reach out to give give this guy a way to interact with all the characters in a new way. Um, and that I, I appreciate the instinct. I just don't think like like you know this thing with CC. Everyone's annoyed by people and their damn kids. So why didn't everyone in the audience groan or in the office groan every time they brought the kid up? I mean, yeah. it would have been funny if the audience and the characters were all in on the same joke. <laughs> right. Like, there was more that could have been done there. Because you know those people that are always like, and here's my whole album with all of my children, and here's their, all of their pictures, and yeah. all, you know, and nobody ever cares except the parents. Right. And maybe occasionally a grandparent, but only sometimes. <laughs> um, so there were ideas here, but somehow they just weren't either, this is the show I'd say, maybe they didn't go far enough, or just didn't, didn't give it um, the little twist it needed to make it work. It just worries me a bit. If this is how it is with just Will Ferrell, this <laughs> gaggle of guest stars they have for the end of this season is going... I don't know how they're going to accomplish it. This is true. It's a concern. It is. Noel actually watched the Paul Reiser show. Anybody else torture themselves that way? No. <laughs> I, I 
really want that. Like, Mad About You is one of my favorite series of all time. And, uh, really? Yeah, I love Mad About You. The, the, the series finale, of, I've said this before, the series finale of Mad About You is probably my favorite ending, any ending to a sitcom. It's just, I mean, almost any ending to a show. It's just so... You and Matt were old and had been divorced forever, and their kid was annoying. That, that episode? That episode. I think that there's a lot of manipulative, but very good moments that, that kind of encapsulate that series and the themes of that series a lot. I think Matt About You did a good job in ending their series. Huh. Um, but, I mean, come on. The, the scene where they're all in the elevator and uh, Sylvia picks off the little piece of lint off her sweater kills me every time. I want Paul Reiser to be successful. I, I'm generally okay with this comedy. With his, uh, I mean, his comedy is essentially not really anything that he says, but more of his intonation, like more, more of how he speaks, his cadence. But um, I want that to do well because I, I want good things for Paul Reiser. I mean, why not, right? He's, he's old. How good can your show be when you're replacing perfect couples in the middle of April? It's true. Absolutely true. But uh, it's either not going to be developed enough, or just in a, in a situation where no one's going to care about it. It's in a situation where no one's going to care about it. Because um, look at what the numbers the... did. It was awful. It was like their lowest-rated sitcom premiere. It did half of what Perfect Couples did in its first episode. I mean, TV by the numbers puts it on the bubble, and it's only got one episode. episode. <laughs> what the biggest frustration was is that it just wasn't engaging. Um, the opening monologue where he pitches it as a, as a way to deal with his boredom of being, hey, you're that guy in Mad About You. I really love that show. What else have you done since then? Uh, type of thing was not as engaging as they thought because I didn't think for an instant that he was friends with any of these people whatsoever. <laughs> that, was the, that was the core of the problem was that here's this guy who's thrust into friendships with people because they're his kids' friends' fathers or they're the husbands of his wife's friends and it's just like these people aren't interesting and I don't see you hanging out with these people ever. Would it be funnier if it wasn't Paul Reiser like if he was playing a character? No, I don't think it would be funnier then either. Mm. Um, And the only time it really clicked was when you know Larry David was on and was able to carry that a little bit. And they actually played off each other really nicely, David and Reiser, but the rest of the episode just was, this isn't working at all. It's not funny. No, 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 no. Yeah, so why, why redo Curb for network TV? Like, do you think that was the impulse? Like, let's do Curb with Paul Reiser because he's more likable and see what happens? Well, see, that's the really funny thing, is that the show is trying to sell us on the idea that Paul Reiser, in within this little universe, is actually less likable than Larry David is. Oh. Huh. To which I probably go, what? Nobody is less likable than Larry David. That's the entire point of Larry David. <laughs> that he's the least likable person ever. So there's no way that you can be less likable than Larry David. But even Larry David says that Paul Reiser is a bit of a jackass. And it's just like... But I don't buy that at all. I've seen eight, ten seasons of Mad About You. There's nothing not to like about Paul Reiser. <laughs> yeah. So I, I was just kind of flummoxed by the entire idea that this show is supposed to stave off Paul Reiser's boredom and be funny. So it's just like, okay, so after it got finished, I just had this real impulse to watch Aliens again so I could watch Paul Reiser be slimy and actually be an <laughs> asshole. 
So you don't think this is going to be with us next year? No, Ooh. no, absolutely not. If if I get my way, all the shows move back into like the eight to eight to ten slot, and then the marriage comes back on a ten. I will be so happy. Whatever they have to do to have the least amount of slots for the new potential Chelsea Handler sitcom to not be on the air. That's all I need. NBC needs to keep all. I don't care. Give Outsource five more seasons. I don't (laughs) care. Just so that Chelsea Handler is not on television. How can Chelsea Handler be on network TV? Her entire shtick is that she sleeps with everyone and drinks all the time. I mean, her her show. But there's there's a network. There's a NBC bought a pilot that's based off of her book. That's based off of her not comedy that might get picked up for next year. Right. They would have to water that thing down so much. I mean, the only reason she's funny is if she's extreme. Like, at all. But the only way she's at all funny is if she's a woman who curses a lot or, you know what I mean, that kind of thing. Um, I, I can't imagine they would make that palatable and have it be at all entertaining. Well, uh, huh. NBC's now owned by Comcast, which is now the owner of E. Indeed. Well, like, yes. Yes, correct. They own E, therefore they own Chelsea Handler. Yep. Does that mean we're also going to see Ryan Seacrest on sitcoms all over the place, too? I now, that I would be down for. I would actually love to see Ryan Seacrest try and carry some kind of, like, middle-aged white people sitcom. I would love that. Nick did a very uh, impassioned plea for me to give Chicago Code more more attention and more respect, and I think he was right. I am. I am always right. Yes, I don't know about that, but I'm fully on the Chicago Cone bandwagon. They have had three or four excellent episodes in a row. Yeah. Um, I I look forward to it more than I used to. Remember before, I just kind of watched it and wasn't really sure if I was interested. But now I really think it's starting to fire on all cylinders. And it's definitely a bubble show, right? Yeah, it is a, a, a bubble show. I mean, not as much as like Breaking In is, but yeah, it is kind of a bubble show. Breaking In, is that the... Um, Christian Slater. Uh, yeah, that. yeah, I wasn't really able to hold on to that really good first week uh, idol lead-in anymore, is it? Yeah. Mm. Um, which is sad, because I really like the kid from Reaper, but... Oh, well. But Chicago Code yeah. is, has been very, very good. This past week is very good. Chicago Code should get a second season. I think it's ambitious. Yeah, it's I think it um, has some really strong actors. Uh, really, I, I would like to see where it goes, so I hope we get to... Get another year of it. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of really great tensions in that. The the whole the the dichotomy of Alderman Gibbons, how he's a great guy for for some of the series, and then for the other series, he's the most evil man on the planet. Right. Um, I think that's a it's a great. I mean, that's a I think that's probably the most dynamic character Lindo's probably ever played. Um, yeah, it has it has the potential to be another quality, and I use that term very you know consciously. Quality network show. Like The Good Wife, right? The Good Wife, people would say, is a uh, network showing that they can keep up with cable, at least as far as having a really intriguing show with the nuanced characters and whatever else. Chicago Code could be at that level of fit, can keep growing like it has been. Yeah. Um, and Yeah, and all the characters. And they do a really good job of featuring all the main characters and giving them decent storylines, especially yeah, this past episode. Uh, Matt Loria did uh, knocked it out of the park with his part. Um, yeah. He's just excellent. I I love. I mean, I liked him on Friday Night Lights, yeah. but my goodness, he this is he is coming into his own. I haven't excited to watch him for years. Right. Charm, charm, charm. He's yeah. great. He's done, he's done a really good job. Even um, you know, kind of the C D plot characters like the uh, like his niece and um, Wasaki's niece and, yeah. and her partner. 
uh, even that part that got me all tense and, and worked up uh, near the end. I'm like, don't do that. Don't again. I'm an anti shipper, so don't do that. Don't do that all the time. Man. Uh, okay, I but here, Nick, help me out. So I thought they were already dating. In the first episode, you make it, 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 they make it sound like that, where she's like, I can't lose you, I don't want to lose you, that kind of thing. And then they just kind of tapered it off, and then they kind of brought it back, I guess. And yeah, it's kind of weird. I mean, because, yeah, I, I really thought that that was already a done deal. Yeah, me too. But Maybe the writers did not, so... No. And, you know, I, I, I like that Isaac was like, you know, are you sure about this? And, and how he was very much not into that whole situation, but... Um, Wasaki's neat. I can't remember her name on the show, but she's a Stone Cold Fox, and uh, that'd be a hard thing to turn down. Um, no. Yeah. So uh, they, I, they, all the characters are very true and very honest, and I like that about the show. The show is very good in that way. And even though it has voiceover narration, which usually will make me turn off on a show immediately, like I will turn co on a show if it has too much voiceover narration. Yeah. For some reason, it works in this show, and I think it's because it's not voiceover narration for the sake of like the show in order to explain what's going on in the show, it's usually just like background on Chicago, which I love. They use it very sparingly. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's necessarily throughout the whole, you know, it's funny. I, part of the reason these things don't bother me is because the truth is I don't actually listen to any of the voiceovers I heard. Like I'm amazed every time that Grace comes to an end, I'll I sometimes notice that Meredith is droning on again. And I have not heard a word the woman said for the last five minutes. I don't even <laughs> Voiceover just goes in one ear, out the other. So it's, for me, it's not even part of the text. But I actually think with Chicago Code, it, it does, has some useful function. It's actually done well. I think that what's good about the narration here is uh, it's very much a part of that. You know, cop shows really need to have that city as a character kind of thing that Law and Order would do really well. And that's what a lot of that narration is doing for Chicago. It's really. I mean, yes, they're all on the streets all the time, and they're and they're going to the neighborhoods, and they have they talk about how city council works and stuff like that. But it's those kind of stories that really talk, tell the story of how Chicago or what Chicago is, and gives you a feeling for what that city is like. And that's what I really appreciate about it. I don't know if they need to do it forever and ever, like or in every episode, but um, it's doing a really good job early on in the series to make Chicago the character that it needs to be. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think I'm much more firmly in the bandwagon with you for Chicago Code. So um, I'll be I'll be watching through the end of the season, and I hope I'll be watching season two. Yeah, yeah me too. I, it deserves a season two, and uh, yeah. Sean Ryan deserves uh, after what happened with Terriers, he deserves a season two on the show. Yeah, I, I agree. And you know, they put I think like they got a lot of good people. It seems like they put a lot of effort into it. So I'm hoping the network is committed. Yeah, me too. Maybe we should uh, all send tweets to the mass scheduler. There you go. Noel, what'd you think of the good wife? Um, aside from from the whole um, court case shenanigans of having Fred Thompson play Fred Thompson and the really kind of silly and unnecessary Hugo Chavez cameo. um, Yes, guys, Hugo Chavez was on the good wife this week. (laughs) Sort of. He he wore a red jacket. That's how we... (laughs) Um, but I really felt like, I mean, the entire episode was one big stall and build up to Alicia finding out about Melinda. Did you like how she found out? Yes. I like that she found out from someone who she didn't know. I thought that was really nicely executed because it keeps the focus on her, basically. It's not someone trying to comfort her now that she knows or anything like that. It's someone who has absolutely no stake. There's no stake in Andrew telling her this stuff. 
<laughs> there was so so little space because really by that he came to tell her that it was all about nothing. That that seemed weird to me. Well, because n- he assu- he doesn't know who Leela is. I know, but it's the nice that her husband is getting elected, reelected, and he thinks it's so important to tell her that the case is about nothing that he chases her down to the party. Well, he does point out that, I mean, he does believe that the truth is worth knowing no matter how hard it is. So, I mean, he's going to hound her for that. So that one little line justifies his behavior. Yeah, I guess I didn't buy that one little line. (laughs) Well, even if you still don't buy that one little line, I mean, it's, we still get Alicia's breakdown for it. We get to see her cry, which I don't even remember the last time we saw Alicia Ford cry. And it was just gut-wrenching. Plus the juxtaposition of he's a jolly good fellow being sung behind her. Oh, so good. Well, back in the day, Carrie could have been the one who told her for a whole host of reasons. And it could have been very interesting for the two of them. Right. But, I mean, they've distanced the two of those characters so much that, I mean... Well, they're trying to make Carrie kind of a teddy bear. Yeah. And he is adorable, let's be honest. I mean, he's moved past Logan significantly to become adorable. No, I'm I not a huge fan of him on Gilmore Girl. Like, I, but I liked him on the show where you weren't quite sure if he was had too much integrity or too little. Like, he, he always was on a fine line, and you couldn't really tell. And right. now they, they, you know, all of his interactions with Kalinda have been interesting, but I haven't always been sure exactly what he's aiming at. I kind of prefer when he has a little bit of menace, a little bit of something hidden there. And so I'm just not sure. I can hear I can hear what you're saying about having someone not connected to her actually allows Alicia to take the information in in a different way. Right. But it also means you miss an opportunity for a character to, for char- two characters to interact in a way that really provo- provokes fundamental change for both of them. Sure. But I think that the episode's been set up in such a way that, I mean, really, this whole arc's only been set up in such a way that really only Carrie could deliver that information to her. I mean, Kalinda clearly wanted to tell her, but just didn't make the time to do it and didn't have an opportunity to do it. But, I mean, it was only going to be Kalinda or Carrie that could tell her. Yeah. And I don't feel like this season that there would have been much of an impact if Carrie had told her. And I think that they, that they need Alicia to have that active role in confronting Kalinda or, and or Peter about it. Right. And now, now that Peter's in charge, it, there's a, Carrie is especially important now. Like, he's yeah. in, a, in a whole new thing. And, that can make, and I, I like his character. I'm glad they've kept a focus on him, and I hope they continue to. So. Yeah. And I like him in the essay's office, and I hope that they kind of keep him there. And... Yeah. The only other thing I think that the show should have is just more talking lion phones. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I like the detective. I just didn't quite understand all of his motivation this week. Usually they use him better. Yeah. And I just wasn't. I mean, I, I, even though I can accept how he was used to delay information, it felt a little bit clunky to me. That's all. Yeah, and the episode as a whole is kind of clunky, especially compared, compared to the previous episode, which I felt was just on fire. Yeah. But... It's all, it's, it's set up, basically. It's all act one set up for the next, the next few episodes in which all of this comes crashing down. Right. So it's act one in however many more acts we have left. So right. it's rising action. This is how I look at it. And act one's always clunky because you have to set everything up. It's like that first hour of a lost finale 
where it's just people running around in the jungle for an hour, and then you get all the good stuff in the second hour, right, Matt? Right. Obligatory <laughs> lost reference done. Right. So anyway, I, I I I was very disappointed to hear that the Good Wife will not be on for a few weeks. Some shows you don't realize how much you love them until they're gone, and I will miss it. Dude, how long yeah. is it going to be off for? Two weeks. It's been useful that during the drought, The Good Wife was still playing new episodes. They, they were on a different schedule than everyone else, apparently. Yeah. So, that I think nice. a lot of that probably had to do with Chris Knopf, So. Yeah, where is he? What's he doing? He's on Broadway. That's why he wasn't in last week's episode. He's doing a play. Oh, okay. So that's why he wasn't in the episode that was about him winning the election. <laughs> was that funny? But it worked in the end, and that's really all I cared about was that we got to see Alicia by herself. We didn't. She's so distanced from Peter at that point that we don't have to see him, and that's great. I think. Yeah. Who is this thirteen character, and why everyone hates her, and why the show insists on bringing her back? Why does everyone hate thirteen? I don't know why everybody hates thirteen. And now I'm going to try to do this without sounding biased because I am in love with Olivia Wilde. But um, I know I think thirteen is a really <laughs> solid character. I think that of. Uh, all the characters on on House, like she's kind of one of the more developed characters. Absolutely, especially the writers just fell in love with her in season four and decided to make her the most dynamic and interesting character yeah. on their show. It's true. I mean, with how flat the other ducklings have been, like seriously, uh, Eric and Robin. Why did I say Chase. the first names? Ro- I don't. Eric <laughs> Foreman. <laughs> Foreman and Chase. For the, I mean, with Foreman and Chase, they're like the same person. Like, they're like Sam and Eric from Lord of the Flies. Like, you could combine them, and then you wouldn't know the difference. Mm-hmm. Um, they are, like, they, they yeah, they're the same, they, they're jaded the same way. They uh, they have the same problems with authority. They have the same, I mean, everything. They, they challenge the same way. The, the, um, it's, there's no difference between them anymore. Except that one's kind of a man whore, and the other one's calmed down his man whoreishness. Yeah, but they really dropped that chase man whore side story anyway, because it made it seem like he was going to get with that girl who right. hacked his Facebook account, which is so weird to <laughs> be saying these things in terms of house, but the girl who hacked his Facebook account... Uh, you thought he was going to end up with her, and you know he would have finally found a, a meaningful relationship after Cameron left. But they just really dropped that. So yeah, they haven't done anything with Foreman and Chase this no. season. And then Masters, I mean, she even though she's been there the whole season, she they really never. I mean, the only thing that they could do with her is corrupt her. Like that was the only that was the only real path for her. And they, I don't know if they just didn't have the time to do it, or if they just didn't want to get around to doing it, but they didn't. And. Um, what was going to be good about Masters was that she was going to be the the intellectual mm-hmm. the intellectual equal to House. Like she was just as smart as House. She was just as good with puzzles, and uh, she could have been that. And they just dropped that entirely. So um, all the other ducklings have been flat. Wilson has been in and out. I mean, he's doing a Broadway play too. He's been in and out. Um, and he's isn't this his last season? Is it this one or next year? Next year, he says it's got to be his last season. Okay. He, his contract's up at the end of the season, I think. All right. And uh, they, but I mean, everything's kind of up in the air with House because um, it hasn't even been renewed yet. It hasn't been renewed yet. So the the powerhouse, the juggernaut that is House, has not been renewed. Yet. Nope. Um, so anyway, where's it going? Oh yeah. So I mean, and then the whole Cuddy House thing. I'm so glad that's over. Um, because, I mean. Huddy hater, like I, I hate love, Nick. Just say it. I, does, hate yeah, I do. I hate love. I hate love. Um, 
But House is more interesting to me when he's not with somebody, especially Ducati. I mean, he's not really been in a relationship. I mean, he, when, even when he was with, um, briefly with his ex-wife. Cela Ward, yeah, in season two. Um, he was Ooh, more... He was, talk about hot. Woo, Cela Ward. But she was... Um, here's the thing about Cela Ward. Sometimes she's super hot. Sometimes she looks like Michael Jackson. Huh. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to put that out there. She's a two-face. So, anyway... Recently, uh, but the thing with Cuddy has been different because um, he was he was the same person we used with Seal the Ward and, and that, whichever season that was. But um, was it two? Mm-hmm. Was that really? She was the main conflict. Chai McBride was season one. Seal the Ward was season two. John Morse was season three. There you go. Right on. We don't talk about season three. Season three is fantastic. Shredder <laughs> is the best villain that show has ever had, <laughs> ever. Um. Anyway, because anyway, so, I will Twitter tangent forever, but let's let's stay on course. Let's focus. Right. Let's not talk so, about five years ago. So, um, anyway, House is more interesting when he's not trying to um, be a better person. I think that he's uh, he's a more interesting character when he's self destructive and more like Sherlock Holmes. Um, it's um, yeah. Anyway, thirteen is, and that's also why thirteen is uh, interesting because she's also self very self destructive, and she's also and she's a she's a strong female character that is also flawed, and that's what I really appreciate about thirteen that she's not this male this she's not a strong female character within the male gaze like she's not a strong female character in, in a male fantasy she is a flawed female character, and even though she has some things some elements about her that are kind of um, fanboy tied it like she's bisexual and she uh, and she is very rarely in a relationship with a man as, as often she has been with a woman um, there, I think that her character I, she's challenges house in a different way than any, any of the other characters do especially the the, the flat ducklings um, especially Tao who is who I, I didn't even mention when I was talking about the other ducklings because Taub's had story this year though all of the stuff with his divorce and on, his I mean, it's better than what they've been doing with Chase and Foreman. Well, they really, sure, they okay. really fo- they focus on those characters. Taub and 13, it seems like they like those characters way more than they like their older ones now. Because those ones consistently get story. Taub's may not, as, may not be as good as 13's, right. but they're still doing a lot more with him than they do with like Chase. Right. Um, I think that uh, 13 also is really important. I, I mean, to tag on the Taub thing. Taub, to me, is a very uh, spineless character. And I think he's necessary... I just don't like him. Okay. I think that he's a necessary character. He's a very necessary counterbalance to that show. But anyway, 13 is interesting because, uh, especially now that House is uh, a miserable sod and 13 also a miserable sod uh, with her terminal disease. Um, I just think that she, there's a lot there's a lot more going for 13 as a character than there are there are for the other characters. I was actually having this conversation with someone this week about where does House go from here? And it seems like spin-off is the way to go. They've they've challenged House in so many different ways and they've really exercised all of the really good ways to do it. Like I it's trying to put myself in that writer's room, sitting there thinking, okay, what are we gonna do with him next season? Right. I think you need to kill House. I think House has to die. There's only so much that you can do, and it's been... I mean, show's been on for seven years. There's only so much you can do with a character that fundamentally cannot change. Right. 
but the other characters are still there. And so, you know, you get into the argument of, well, it's not House without House, and then you... So you, you, you spin off. You kill House, you have... It's just called PPTH. You just have a medical <laughs> show with everyone except for House, right. and you call it Prince and Plainsboro Teaching House. But there's something... I just... As much as I love the show, now that they've finally done the Huddy storyline, what do they do from here? Like the villains that we named earlier from the previous seasons, they all had different ways of challenging House and challenging the hospital and stuff. What do you, where do you go from here? Right. And that was something that I, I thought about in the, the beginning of the season when we first started season seven was if they're going to do this storyline now and, and it's just going to be, and you know that's going to have a crash. You know mm-hmm. eventually it's going to end. Even though I hated the whole season, even though you know it's going to end, what I mean, he goes back to where he was, and then you kind of get this feeling of, oh, we're here again, right? So, like, what now? We just, cre- I mean, we create another villain just like Time McBride and Trigger, or I mean, what? Where, where does it end? Like, where is this? Where is the cycle going? I mean, uh, I mean, it, we've got. I mean, House is a formula show, and it is, and we appreciate the, 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 that formula of the show. I mean. The only times I ever like the, the breaking formula is like season finales and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that's why people watch it is because it's got that formula that everybody that everybody's real comfortable with. But and they've they've ditched the formula somewhat because you know they haven't had that one main antagonist per season mm-hmm. anymore. Like they really season four was such a change for them because it was kind of like a reality show season. It was. Like, I knew people that didn't watch House that started watching in season four because they were like, oh, which of these characters is going to get kicked off this, this episode? <laughs> it became like a reality show, and that was very different for them. Then they gave us these new characters, so they made it really fresh. Uh, you know, they kicked off the, the old ones for a little while, but now everyone's back except Cameron, which I'm sad about, but whatever. Um, she's, she's screwing it up on how I like, met your mother anyway. Okay, well, but we know it's not going to end. She's done. We know she's not going to survive on how I'm... We know she's not going to survive. And after this abomination of an episode this past week, it's I'm, I am actually now also ready for Zoe to leave. I have always been the defender of Zoe, but after this week, I can get... I'm fine with her leaving. Like, it was just not a good episode. It was just not a good episode. And, th- I mean, just how much mother's lacking that spark, you know? That spark that uh, that, that got me attracted in seasons one and two. Like, there's that, that spark that was like, I always kind of want to know. And since the father episode, the, the death of the father, I've not really been into any of these episodes. And uh, this one, just, I just didn't. I, I, I get the, not into it. I get the message that they're saying, like, about the two types of relationships. Mm-hmm. And that how, like, the perfect one is kind of a balance of the two. You need the support, but you, I mean, there is, I think, a certain amount of challenging keeps relationships fresh and fun right. and things like that. Um, so I get the, you know, How I Met Your Mother Loves to Do That, like, the adult relationship message of the episode. And I get that, and I appreciate it. But the episode itself right. was just kind of boring. It was. And like Noel said in his review, I mean, it was, they kind of left that Lily thing like it was like half done. Yeah, it was like all of a sudden he's like, "I gotta get out of here." And then she comes back, and they kind of don't. I mean, there's no like conflict for them at all because like she comes back, is like, you know, I'll be the perfect wife or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then Marshall's just like, I just concedes, is like, I need to go back to work. And yeah, it's like, oh, I guess there was no conflict there. It was too easy. It was it was really easy, a really easy resolution. What do they need to do? Like, what is wrong with the with the series lately that it's just been not sharp? It's just not been. It's been really dull. Because it's trying to do more of these, like, serialized mysteries. The whole point of the show is, okay, who is the mother? We get it. Fine. 
but they're trying to do all of this other stuff, like the thing with the wedding, and now this like change that all these changes that Barney's going through in reference to his relationship with his father, and in him. Uh, well, yeah, where's Nora been? Because uh, they kind of that. Yeah, I that thought that might have come back. Right, that might have come back, but. Anyway, I don't. I, I just. I don't know. I'm having so many issues with a lot of my long-running shows right now because I'm just like, what are you gonna do? What the hell are they gonna do on How I Met Your Mother for two more years? Two I'm not complaining years. because I love the show, but from where we are right now, what are they gonna be doing in two years? It's like every time that they renew the show, it's like a, a, a new like God. That's a, that's, instead of being like, yeah, again another season, of the show is like that's two more years. I don't get to know who the mother is. Well, that's a stupid premise. It's been a dumb premise. From I mean, I, I when I first watched that show, I, I watched an episode or two, and I was like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of, because why would you base your entire show around someone's entire life when you can't touch any part of that life? Yeah. Like, if, if the assumption is that meeting this woman was, like, the moment where he really began his life, then everything before that is preamble, and you're always limited. That's an interesting point. Yeah. So... Yeah. I- that, things like that. That's why, like the Zoe thing, because uh, you know that that ends terribly. Mm-hmm. So, like, and now that you kind of really want to know who the mother is, like, you, I couldn't care less about what happens with Zoe. Like, I know she's not the mother, so why do I care about this? Relationship? Yeah, it cheapens a lot of these other relationships because now I'm at the point where you're right, we, where we've been here so long. Every new relationship that comes along, it's like, is this the mother? No, well, then I don't care about the next ten episodes because this has no bearing on anything. The only, the only thing is, and I can't see what's going to happen yet. It might, but Ted needs to – Ted has learned things from his previous relationships. I can't yet see what he's going to learn from Zoe because it's all supposed to be about him growing and getting to the point of finding the mother. But this Zoe relationship, I haven't seen them uh, – like I don't get what he's going, how he's going to grow. It just seems like How I Met Your Mother needed to have a, um, they needed to finally use the these two people don't get along at first, but then they fall in love kind of a storyline because they hadn't yet. Right. And that's all that this is. Yeah. Well, there's the large, there's the other problem with the fact that they don't know what to do with Ted when he's not in a relationship. Right. We got. We, how often do we have to talk about this? Like it, it it's yeah. so true. So, I mean, they're just, it, they're kind of stuck with their premise, like Karen points out, is that while it's preamble and they can't talk about other parts of his life, at the same time, I mean, something interesting should happen to this guy at some point. But instead, because of the overarching narration, because of the fact that the entire show is a flashback, we're stuck trying to go through, like you were pointing out, well, it's not the mother, then I kind of don't care. Mm-hmm. But then the other problem is, is that they don't make any of his big relationships since Robin in season two interesting. Stella wasn't very engaging, no. and Zoe is, I'm sorry, Matt, but horrible. <laughs> I can admit, I like Jennifer Morrison, and I like hats. That's where this is coming from. That's, that's, that's it. So that's kind of the problem is is that they haven't been able to make a character I think that we can engage with despite the fact that she's not the mother. I mean, yes, I knew that the cupcake lady from season one wasn't the mother. Did I care about that relationship? Absolutely. And we didn't know that we knew that Robin wasn't the mother either, but yet season two just fired on all cylinders. Yeah. Yeah. Because they took the time 
to show us a relationship that was doomed from the start through the course of a season. And I think there's something really bold in that that they haven't been able to recapture or to make interesting again. Yeah, and maybe that's why they were going. That's what they were going for again with Zoe. They show us someone where they don't get along in the beginning. They tell us somewhere in the middle that this is going to end terribly, and yet we're still watching the progression of the relationship. But this is just—it's not comparable to the Robin relationship at all. I was more engaged with uh, what happened with the goat. That that <laughs> was that was more engaging to me than this relationship. Well, the goat's a fascinating character anyway. Yes. Yes. It's true. I don't know. Maybe all shows should just stop after like four or five years. Just from now on, it's like the law. Right. Like get to get get to a syndication point and then just quit. I hate feeling like jaded about it, but it is like it's been. I still love the show, but. At the same time, I can realistically look at it and say, all right, guys, how much longer are we going to do this? <laughs> like, how, how I really like you, but I don't think it's going to work out in the long run. You're not the mother. Let's, right. This isn't going to work. Well, I don't see why they can't just introduce the freaking mother. I mean, it's called How I Met Your Mother. Yeah, so that can... doesn't have to kill the show. Make, I know. Introduce, that's a, it's, you're exactly right, Karen. Introduce the mother. Make her a character. Mm-hmm. Let's look at that relationship. Let's finally get there and see, okay, well, that's how he met the mother. Let's let's track the relationship. Let's see how this goes. Make a new character. Introduce her into this. I, that's, I'm hoping that's something that they're going to do in the next two years that we're going to have <laughs> right. this show. I mean, like, I would really hate it if this... Because he's supposed to meet the mother at the wedding. I would really hate it if the wedding is, like, further off than we think it is. Like, it's not in this season. Oh. Like, it's into next season or something like that. That's uh. the, you didn't see those interviews? They... The, 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 one of the creators was just like, yeah, we never actually said when that wedding was going to happen, did we? Oh my god, really? Yeah. Jeez. So it was just like, we left ourselves a perfect out. We didn't, you'll, apparently we'll see the wedding, but they're just like, we never told you when that wedding actually happens chronologically. Why do they hate why their they, audience? Yeah, why do they hate us? Why are they doing this to us? It's funny that you said that, um, a guy I follow on Twitter, Justin Fowler, um, did a review of the Exploding Meatball episode, and he called the episode one big meta joke on its audience. Uh, and it's a really nice write-up, but the basic idea was that the show can't execute not meeting expectations and then playing that off as a joke, i.e. not being able to do the meatball sub. The meatball sub's a metaphor for not giving us the mother, basically. <laughs> And it just becomes, the episode was just this big, long joke about, oh, yeah, this and that, but the show can't do that because it just seems, it comes off as spiteful, unlike when Community does it with My Dinner with Pulp Fiction, it's funny, and the audience gets it. When How I Met Your Mother does it, it just seems kind of lame and mean. (laughs) It really makes me question the amount of involvement of the audience of that show because the show does really well but we can't be the only ones that are sitting here you know like thinking about this like is the average how i met your mother viewer just along for the ride are they not kind of tired of what's going on yet it's kind of funny that you say that because uh when i went to um an academic conference um last month nerd one of the big, one of the big refrains that came up was well, who the hell cares about who the mother is? It actually came up during the conference presentation. Who who doesn't? I mean, that's not the only reason I watch the show. I don't watch the show every week going, 
damn it, Ted, who's the mother? But, I mean, I like the characters and stuff, but yes, that's obviously important. Some people would say they're no. Pull and lost. I, I oh my god, Baze and Thomas are going to pull a lost. They're going to. They're, we're never going to meet the mother because that's not the point of the show. That's not the point, the point of the show. The point of the show is these characters and how they interact with one another. We're never going to meet the mother. I figured it out. But the thing is, Ted the character you turn on the show for? No, no. Of course not. So my point is, the premise may not, in the end, be shows are organic and they grow and they change because they they don't necessarily have a full plan because that's not how TV works. And we shouldn't put these expectations of these, you know, coherent narrative onto them when the whole point is that they're more serial soap opera style, where the end is not the goal. And if Ted is not the character that people tune in for, then why the freak is that the question that we think is important? Well, here's the thing. I don't even watch the show, but I have opinions. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing about the show is that the show is always about deadlines. The show is, you know, is constantly providing deadlines for us and, and, and then satisfying those deadlines, especially in the earlier on. So we as an audience are, are honestly always given deadlines and, honestly are, and we always feel like that, that gratification of, of getting those deadlines. And it all that's within this giant deadline that they provide for us narratively. So it's like we are, even though we get the things like we get the goat, we get um, all kinds of other things that, that are going on in the episode or in the series, but then there's this one hanging deadline that's always out there. And that's, and that's why we, we feel that way. It'd be different if they, it was like Friends where it was always open-ended, but they give us a deadline and, and, we're, and they keep pushing that deadline back. And that's why it gets a little frustrating narratively. Yeah. Right, I showing think- us the event of the wedding in this season's premiere, and then them coming out and saying, "Well, maybe we're not gonna we're not gonna talk about this until later. We're right. gonna leave this. This might come back next season." Like it's just it's kind of frustrating when they set something up like that and then just let it continue indefinitely. But it is smart writing for a network for for their production model that they need to satisfy. It's very smart. It is because it allows them to keep going for yeah. as long as as long as they can yeah i get it and you know once again i love the show it's just it does get a little frustrating sometimes mm-hmm. we should probably wrap up with one last show the yeah. killing the killing the killing all right well, yeah. there it is well no but i'd like to hear matt what did you think of the pilot i went in not expecting much because amc is really hit or miss with me and Lately, it's been more missed than hit. So I was wary. I didn't have that many expectations. And yes, it, it's a little slow moving, but it's not so slow as Rubicon. And Shut, shut your mouth. <laughs> it's, and so um, I enjoy it. I'm, I'm down for the mystery. I like um, – and see, so now we're, this is very interesting now in us talking in conjunction with How I Met Your Mother. Um, I wonder how long it's going to go. But it's um, – I a season. A season. Actually, okay, good. It is. It's just one case, one season. Okay. Well, I'm down for that. Um, I mean, yeah, I'm, there would I'm be in. No, I just... no Laura Palmer stuff here. Okay. But I, I do. I, um, I mean, I, I like it. What do you guys? What do you guys think? Um, I'm I, when I've watched the first the pilot movie, basically, because they did two episodes right. for here. Um. I wasn't a I wasn't in the best place to appreciate it just because I was really awake and really hyper, so I wasn't able to focus and slow down and appreciate what was going on. 
that made it <laughs> that made it a little difficult. But I really liked what I managed to pay attention to during a random ADD. Um, <laughs> um, but I but I've watched the third episode and I I'm really grooving on the show's deliberateness. I mean I love Rubicon's deliberateness, so I really like the killing, obviously, but it's at its pace. But I also really like the fact that there's a definite sense of place. I mean, Seattle is, it's obviously, it's obvious that this show is going to take place during Seattle's wettest period because it's always raining on this show, which I love. Um, and I think the other thing that I just really like is that while all these comparisons to Twin Peaks are being tossed around on the show, yeah. is that... I don't think that those comparisons are totally apt. I mean, yes, we're getting to see how the death of Rosie uh, Morrison is impacting all these people, her family, how her friends, etc., and how it's affecting the cops and the politicians that kind of surround all of this. That's just basic procedural stuff to me. I mean, Twin Peaks was about the, kooky, the kookiness and the craziness and the weird David Lynch dialogue. That's not what this is. So even though it has the same basic premise, it's filling in that premise that's different. And that's what makes this not Twin Peaks, basically. Yeah, I mean, the, um, the there's so much restraint so far yeah. with the characterization. So, I mean, everybody was all very excited about the lead. Um, and I think she deserves all of the attention she's getting. Right now, you know, you just kind of stare at her face. And she's lovely, but in an interesting kind of non-Hollywoodish way. Yeah, she's gorgeous. I, yeah. I, I really like looking at her. and But I think, like you said, you can see her thinking, which is really fascinating. Yeah, yeah her brain is always going. And, and, and a camera just invites you to just to stare and wonder what, what she's putting together. So that's fascinating. The interaction with the partner, spot on awesome. He's interesting. The fact that they are so different is interesting. Excited to watch that develop. I feel a little bad for the fiance. He seems like a perfectly nice guy. <laughs> um, but uh, so I I'm, I'm not sure why they're giving her that kind of thing that has to, you know, I, I don't know if, it, if she needed the fiance to make this show or make her character more, more interesting. She's got a kid who's troubled. You know, she has plenty of reasons to be a character and a real person for us. Yeah. Uh, but the parents of the dead girl are hitting it out of the park. I mean, <laughs> what excellent that's going on I mean I'm so I'm just completely engaged by these people in this horrible situation in this town that is super depressing um, and I will say that after the third episode I mean the very end where you kind of see the video there is a decided ick factor and that's and I like the ick factor I mean it tells you just how like how dark this is going to be yeah, it might be really gross what happened to this girl might be really I mean we already know it's gross because uh, I don't think this spoils anything necessarily but she, her death is not pretty she's yeah. conscious and sentient and fights and it was not a pretty death um, so I'm already like grossed and then they go with this whole like sexual level that makes it even more gross and there's a lot of you know just bad people in this town that you hope get taken down but even the politician I'm not sure yet how that all connects in but I'm interested in him to some degree. You know, I need to see the, the connections as they as they start to come together. Um, but I suspect that they they've got a pretty solid plan here. So I'm I'm I, I was intrigued from the get go. And shows that like make me really excited from day day one are shows I usually stick with. Yeah, I like it. Like tonally, and one of the reasons why I like it, it reminds me a lot of the first season of Damages. 
Mm. And I think that's one of the things that attracted because I love the first season of that show. And even though this, even though um, the killing has a lot more characters than we're looking at versus just like mainly one person's perspective, like it wasn't damages, um, they feel very similar to me. Yeah, so I think this is definitely a for me. This is becoming quickly event TV, um, and so I just. You know, to see where this goes is going to be. If if indeed they do a case a year, they really have the possibility for a show to promise a lot and then actually deliver on it. Yeah, yeah. And I think and the it, other thing that I I really like is that not when you mention Larson's is that it shows grief really nicely, mm. which I really appreciate. Um, they haven't glossed over that like the kids sitting the table in the third episode and putting out a place for his sister just out of habit Mm -hmm. and then taking a little beat for the kid and his father to look at one another and acknowledge that moment and then for the kid to apologize for it is just really gut-wrenchingly good. Yeah. And I feel like that the show can balance that. I mean, I'm not totally sold on Sarah's conflict with her fiancé and her kid. I feel like that kind of may kind of get in the way just a little bit. But at the same time, I feel like that's going to feel like that just because the case will take 13 days in the show to solve, and we get 13 episodes. Yeah. So we get a day, an episode, basically. A little bit more depending on how they split the narrative. So I feel like even though it will feel like it gets in the way for us, this is happening... I use air quotes for real time for these people. Yeah. So, it's a fun format. And I think that's a really fun format, too, even though it's very 24-ish in that sense. But, but it is so not 24-ish. But it's so not 24, which is what I like. So. Yeah, because they're not beating us over the head with what time it is, and I bet these people will stop to eat and sleep and poop like Jack Bauer does not. So <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, we, we get to see them eat, we get to see them fall asleep, and we get a little Chiron telling us what day it is. And that's it. Yeah. And then it goes away. It's not right. that thumping, ticking clock. Right. <laughs> it's also interesting that we're kind of you know, eavesdropping in on, like, this small-town gossip. Well, like, it's Seattle. It's not small town. I know, but I, it feels small town. Like, you know, you expect that we're going to find a lot more about these high school kids. We're going to find a lot more about her best friend. And, you know, I suspect there's a lot of things that, that are just part of life. It, yeah. But it has small town feel for some reason for me. Um, and maybe it's because we're focusing so intently on these group of characters that are just so interconnected yeah. in all kinds of ways. Um, and I kind of like eavesdropping in on the dish. I don't know. I'm, I'm feeling... I don't, it's appealing to that sense of me that just wants to know who's done what to whom and all right. that. So the intimacy of it. Well, they, they do play up that whole idea of like voyeurism. I mean, we look, we're all, almost always looking at the Larsons through their kitchen window. And everyone's, we're typically looking at people through glass a lot of the time, it feels like. Mm-hmm. And whether it be in um, the politician's office, which is all glass, and we're looking at him through those glass walls or through the windshield of, for them on a stakeout. I mean, there's this sense of voyeurism going on through this show. But it's understated. I mean, I'm noticing it because I'm, I've been trained by now to notice that sort of thing. But I think that there's this nice sense of eavesdropping, as you say, Karen, going on in the show. and It's yeah. very conscious of it, but it's very subtle about it, too. Mm-hmm. That's neat. I have to watch for that. 
because I mean the voyeurism and the ick factor can eventually play a pretty important role in, in what the show is also be trying to do. So it's something to look for as it yeah. goes. Along. No, Matt, catch up. Uh, yeah, no, I, I will. I will. I, I think that's the only show I'm behind on right now, except for America's Best Dance Crew. So other than that, <laughs> other than that I've got, I'll have the time. No, nice. no not anymore, though, because Sundays are so full now. And now that Game of Thrones starts tonight, Sundays are really, Sundays are really heavy for me. So everybody's going to watch Game of Thrones? Nick, are you watching? I have, I have almost negative interest in that show. So you're not going to watch and not do not want to participate just for the conversation. I, I wouldn't say just for the conversation. I have, I was I nothing that show um, from the beginning, and then all the conversation made me have negative interest. I can understand that. Like I, I'm excited for it, but the extreme hype over it, yeah. it it lessens it for me some. Don't let the fans and the fact that it's HBO put you off. I think it's worth at least checking out just to oh, see absolutely. what. Absolutely. And if you hate it, that's fine, because then I get to hear about someone who hates it, and that's always interesting. But uh, I, I would I would be pleased, Nick, if you would at least, if you have a chance, check out the first... Just I'm curious what someone who knows nothing thinks entering this. Yeah, I don't know anything either. Like, do I, I. Mean, I stayed away from as much as possible about the show. Yep, this is brand new for me. Yeah. So, Karen, are you trying to get me into another show and then, like, not watch it? Yeah, she's going to ditch it, and then you're going <laughs> to love it. And then you're going to love it, and then you're going to be like, one of your fanboy shows. I'm like, wait a minute. No, the thing is, um, you know, I have this little dilemma in that I have a partner who has, is very strict about how he watches TV. Not, I can't blame him for all of this, but if I try to, being human was something I tried to watch on my own, mm-hmm. and that's hard for me to keep up with, where he's invested in Game of Thrones, so I can pretty much guarantee I will get to that every week. Okay. Uh, so, I don't feel so bad about it, because if, if I don't like Game of Thrones, I have Camelot to fall back on, which I'm really liking right now. Right. So, seriously? Seriously. I... I had no, my expectations were very low. It looked really, it it looked really, it looked like pre two thousand nine sci fi original programming to me. <laughs> but I like Ava Green and I like Joseph oh, Hines, so it's I'm I'm liking it a lot, honestly. <laughs> I have that one actually. Drew has all of those. Has has the Borgias and um, oh my god, the Borgias is fantastic. Yeah, so I have them both. We just haven't watched them yet. I suspect we'll we'll Please start. Please do that. Again. I need more people to talk to about that show, Karen. It's it's fantastic. Well, it may not be soon because, like I said, we got cheap shows coming back now. But yeah, uh, it's that's definitely tough. on the list. Yeah. At least that stuff will transfer into summer. So there will be yeah. there will be good time between. Um, now and summer programming where that's the only stuff that's really going to be on. Hey, hey, Doctor Who starts next week. Something that's to be true. really excited about. I'm, no? Okay. I'm, I haven't seen it, so... <laughs> Fine. Whatever. I've seen one or two. I've it's seen intimidating. The one I've seen. It's intimidating. I don't think I even saw the episode that you gave me, Noel. <laughs> Was it blank? No, no, I gave him the Christmas special. Everybody seems to, like, anyone who's like, oh, I've seen one episode, it's always blank. That seems to be the one that everyone points to as, like, the best episode of Doctor Who ever. Which is hilarious, because the Doctor's barely in that episode. Yeah. I, we, we, Drew and I started season one, just to kind of see, and it's, like, so, you know, it's it's so cheesy. It's he just, supposed to be. That's the yeah, point. I know. I know. We just watched the end of Extras last night, and there's he does the little cameo as the slug, you know? Yeah. Oh, and I think that was a pretty good showing of what Doctor Who is. So yeah. you just say, yeah, you're right. You have to embrace it for what it is. Yeah. So is there anything else that we want to talk about before we go? 
Yeah, good. Yeah. All right, so from Monsters of Television Podcast, we are leaving. That's not... How do I sign this off usually? I don't know. That was bad. <laughs> that was awful. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. We'll see you next week. Bye. 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 Bye.